welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Listened. If, actually, I appreciate Chris uh, Debenham and the other tech team for recording last week's service in the courtyard because Byron preached a great word, and you can just hear the message because the sound isn't. It's a lot harder to catch. It's mainly birds, but if you listen carefully, because <laughs> the camera's there, the microphone's there, the birds are in the tree here, and so in amongst the tweet, 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 you can just hear Byron in the distance. But I appreciate the messages. We've been, can we see that screen about today's true temples? We've been doing a series. Ruth is going to finish next week this series. And, um, you know, uh, I'll read you this passage uh, from 2 Corinthians. This is the foundational uh, scripture uh, for this series. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, We are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I'll be their God and they will be my people. That's... Paul writing to the Corinthians, but quoting from an, a prophecy in the Old Testament about the time that the Holy Spirit would come and that we would be a temple for the Spirit of God to live in, which is an incredible concept, isn't it? And, um, and so we've been talking about these vessels or temples that we are called to be, to contain the Holy Spirit. And Janelle preached a few weeks ago brilliantly about the, the presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit. And then uh, I think it was Ruth preaching about the character qualities of, the God, uh, of God through the, the fruit of the Spirit that grows in us. And then again last week, um, Byron, about the holiness of God, the work of sanctification, the Holy Spirit works. And so today's Pentecost Sunday, and I want to talk about the power of God uh, in us through the Holy Spirit, being a temple that contains and ministers the power of God. Because, as you may know, on this day, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit came as the catalyst for the church of Jesus to be birthed. And he came with great power. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of prophecies, a lot of promises from the Old Testament, uh, like that one in 2 Corinthians 6. Um, others talking about uh, prophets, sorry, uh, prophets in the Old Testament talking about the Holy Spirit coming and so that people would all be able to prophesy, not just the prophets, that the Spirit of God be moving on all flesh, all kinds of people. Uh, because in the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit occasionally coming upon some people. Thanks to Jesus being forgiven for sin, we are now a sanctified or righteous or, or clean temple that God can actually live in. Couldn't do that in the Old Testament. Too much sin in the way. And so, not because of our own work, because of Jesus, God can send the Spirit of God. We are filled with his Spirit. And so, um, we, we see all this prophecy coming from the Old Testament. And then, we see John the Baptist coming. And, you know, uh, his message was one of repentance. And people are coming from all over to hear him and to be baptised in water. But remember what he said, and you read it in, uh, I think it's Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 11. If you're taking notes, you can read that later and correct me if I'm wrong or just add to the corrections that you'd like to submit over lunch or whatever. Uh, but um, 
Uh, I think it's Matthew 3.11. John says, listen, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance, but there's one coming after me who is greater than me, so great I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. And what does he say? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he's talking about Jesus, of course. And then uh, Jesus comes, and of course he, uh, he teaches, he heals, he preaches, he preaches about the kingdom of God, he dies for our sins, rises from the dead, and just before he's about to go back to heaven, let's look, turn with me or look up here at Acts chapter 1. And so um, at Jesus uh, meeting with his uh, disciples, and it says in chapter 4, sorry, chapter 1, verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus' words. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. He then, sorry, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, not for you to know the times that the Father or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, ever-growing circles of influence throughout the world. And so here we are, all these years later, at what they would call the ends of the earth. <laughs> and many throughout history have thought, Australia, yeah, the ends of the earth. Well, it's pretty good down here at the ends of the earth. But, um, and now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You go to the next chapter. Now, a few weeks have gone by. We know there's at least 120 of these believers uh, meeting together in the upper room, as it's called, in this house or this place, some kind of building. And it's the day of Pentecost, which, as you may know, comes from a Greek word for 50, penti, and uh, it was the day that was 50 days or seven weeks after Passover. So they had another festival. The Jewish calendar was full of festivals, seven different festivals, and they had this one called, uh, it was a harvest festival called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven weeks after uh, Passover. So this is the day that had no special meaning uh, beyond the harvest festival at that point, but of course it's got a meaning for us as the church because of what happened. Um, and so when you read chapter 2, uh, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Notice unity always helps if you want to move of God. They're all together. Suddenly, so let me just stop there and say just a little thing about God's timing. Jesus had said, wait, and now we see suddenly. Who knows, we just have to flow with God's timing in life. God often says, wait, and we don't want to. They were ready to go. They were pumped. He said, don't go anywhere. Wait, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Ah, Peter probably thinking, no, I'm pretty good on my own. Let's go. Uh, and, and, and so we do well to wait because God often, usually, uh, moves slower than we would like, you know. Um, and yet, we've got to wait on the front foot because waiting doesn't mean going, oh, well, I forget it. Nothing will ever happen. Yeah. Because then you'd miss it. You wouldn't be in the upper room. You wouldn't be seeking God like we heard that prophecy. They're praying. They're seeking God. Suddenly, oh, hang on. Now he comes. Suddenly. So on one hand, you've got to wait, but on the other hand, you've got to anticipate God moving suddenly. 
We've got to be ready. We've got to flow with the Holy Spirit, the way he moves, the way he blows like a wind or moves like a wave, you know, ride the wave, catch the right wave rather than just paddling on your own where there's no waves. Surfing analogy, any surfers, right? Um, and so do you get what I'm saying there? The wait and the suddenly I find interesting. Okay, so suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind or your translation might say like a rushing wind. If it was written today in Australia, they'd say like a cyclone. They didn't know what a cyclone was, non-tropical. Uh, but, you know, if you've ever been in tropical North Queensland when the winds go berserk or in Southeast Asia when you've got a wild storm, you know what it can sound like. And so this violent rushing wind sound comes from heaven, filled the whole place where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so notice we've had the word baptism of the Holy Spirit and now we've got the word filled with the Holy Spirit, same thing. A lot of talk over the years, sometimes people are saying, oh, I don't know about that word and I don't believe in that. It's the same deal. Um, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Come on. So this is what had been promised. Here's the Holy Spirit coming. The prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus himself had all talked about this day and here he comes. The Holy Spirit baptises them, fills them, empowers them so they can be the church. They can grow the church. They can become and to build the church. And then you read on in that chapter, you see that people were amazed. People came running. What's going on? And of course, some of those people came were upset. They were confused and therefore they were critical because sometimes we are quick to criticise things we don't understand. Sad part of the human condition. And uh, so they made fun of them. They said, oh, you must be drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. What's going on? And so Peter gets up and he says, no, 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 listen, we're not drunk, but this is a fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy. So he quotes from the book of Joel that is one of those prophecies that says there's a time coming when everybody, sons, daughters, old men, young men, Women will prophesy, be filled with the Spirit. And he said, and then he goes on, expounds the Scriptures, preaches the Gospel, 3,000 people are born again and added to the church. Hello. And so, three things to notice about that day. Three effects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit that relate to us today. And the first one is, of course, power. The power that God brings to His people to do the work of God, to serve him, to follow him. Because just think of Peter. This is the same guy that just a few weeks ago denied knowing Jesus. He was afraid. He was carrying all the pressures on. They're grounding up the followers. And I don't know him. Three times, remember? And he, and he curses and says, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows. and Oh, he's, he's up and down emotionally. He's known to be petulant, impatient, moody. And yet here he is standing up with authority, clarity and power in his words and thousands of people respond. It says in the text, people were cut to the heart by the words that he spoke. So that's good preaching. You know, you hear people speak, and then other people speak, oh, wow, and it can get you. You know, some 
brilliant actor, you know, you get a De Niro or someone with a speech, you know, or, you know, you can't handle the truth or, you know, could have been a contender if you're old enough to know who Marlon Brando is, you know. Uh, oh, cut to the heart, powerful speaking. And he's a fisherman. And now he's like Brando on stage with the Holy Ghost. He's become a Reinhard Bonnke overnight. What's going on? It's the power of God. It's the Holy Spirit baptism. That's the difference, yeah? And so he had got this boldness, this anointing to do the work of God, to stand up, not in his own strength, but in the strength of God, to preach for God. Isn't that awesome? And then, of course, you just see throughout the book of Acts more of this power. The next chapter, Peter and John go to the temple. There's a, a beggar, a lame guy, and he's looking for some money. Peter just says out loud, I don't have any money, but I'll tell you what I have got. In the name of Jesus, get up, walk. And the guy does. Ah, and it's a miracle. Everyone's looking. And then they all gather around. And say, oh, what's going on? And then Peter says, um, why do you stare at us as if we made this man walk by our own power? No, he says, it's not our power. It's God's power. And then he goes on, preaches another message. Many more we don't know exactly more how many, but many more were saved because it says there were now 5,000 men plus women and kids that were believers and joining the church. So perhaps thousands responded on that day or there'd been also incremental because we know it said the Lord added daily to the number of those being saved. So there was a response. He's preaching. And then persecution hits, heavy persecution, so much so that when you get a few chapters in, Stephen is stoned to death. I mean, we had stone fights when we were kids, but this is next level. He's stoned to death and becomes the first martyr of the church. So you would think, okay, that's going to shut them down, at least for a while. They're going to back off. They're going to, they haul Peter uh, before the Sanhedrin. They, they have a go at him. They warn them not to preach. They just keep going. He just says, well, we can't stop. We're not going to stop. The church is scattered, but it just, God uses it to scatter the message. They're not suppressed. They're just succeeding. They're growing. And, and why? Why don't they just back off? Why aren't they afraid for their lives? Because they're full of the power of God. They're so emboldened, they don't care. What can you do? And the legend has it, as you know, right through to the end of Peter's life, uh, that when he was crucified, he said, do it upside down. Just, you know, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. Just no regard for anything but serving God passionately. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go out and become a martyr and just sort of go next level and look for someone who wants to crucify you upside down. But the boldness that they had, you probably won't have that opportunity, even if you've got a martyrdom syndrome anyway. You can just feel sorry for yourself. That's as far as you'll get. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a boldness that empowers us that's available. And, and so we need the power of the Holy Spirit because notice what Jesus said, you'll receive power so that you can be my witnesses. It's not just a tingle, not just a feeling, not just an exciting experience. It's power that you see in Peter's life to do what he was called to do, to preach. And so whatever you're called to do, you'll need the power of God to do it because God calls us to do stuff that's beyond our natural abilities. Otherwise, life is, is boring. Life is contained and, 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 and just calm and, and menial. But God does challenge us, does call us to be stretched. And you've experienced that if you've followed him and served him for a while. 
You were, you were called to, to do something that you, I would never have thought that I could stand up before people and speak publicly before I became a Christian. I was not a public speaker. I was just, I was a clown amongst my friends or in small groups. I could never, I didn't, when we did the school play, I was, I, I got forced to join the chorus because the mate said, come on, you may as well be in it. There's no way I wanted the lead role or any of that stuff. And so in your own world, God calls you to things that you might not have wanted to do, but God's called you to do, and then you enjoy it because we'll get onto the gifts that comes with it. So, uh, there's effectiveness in the power. That's what I'm saying. And it doesn't have to be uh, spectacular. You don't have to be a, a Peter kind of character. You can be empowered in your own personality. You can be a quiet person, but still empowered. You don't have to be loud. You can just be empowered. You know what I'm saying? You've just got a God-given boldness deep inside that might still come out in a calm, measured manner. I mean, you don't want to be a crazy kind of character in some parts of life and some careers and some avenues of, of, of how you live. So it, it, all different personalities, but we're all called to be effective witnesses for him. We need the power of God for that, to fight the good fight of faith, to follow Jesus without compromise or conditions, to have a passion in our heart, to love people. Oh, there you go. You're going to need God's help to do that. To forgive, to be gracious, to be kind, to reach out, to overcome evil with good, to make a, a loving, gracious difference in people's lives and, and, and fill your relationships with grace. You need the power of God for that, don't you? To overcome fear and worry and stress. The doctor's reports or reports of friends or relatives and potential what's going to happen and you can overcome that with faith that comes from God the power of God fills you with a confidence that comes from nowhere else but from him and so we've got an enemy we've got to fight and and so all the important things of fulfilling an, a, our destiny in life we need the power of God and it's available through the Holy Spirit um, notice the, uh, the the second thing uh, on that day that still occurs and that's the the criticism, the offence that it caused. I said before, some were indignant about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and they, were, they were just offended because they didn't understand. It's easy to go that route. Um, and they assumed the believers there were drunk because they were hit by the Holy Spirit. And when you, you know, they say, you know, you plug your finger in an electrical socket, there's probably going to be a reaction and it's very hard to have the Holy Spirit filling your life without some kind of manifestation, some kind of reaction. Um, and so we've got to be careful we don't put God in a box and just say, this is the way I understand God. This is what I have come to experience from God. So that's the way it's always going to be. Because all throughout history, there are seasons of revival, of manifestations of the Spirit where God just blows our expectations and he loves to do that. Just put him in a box, he'll bust out. He'll just not want to <laughs> live there where you want him to. Uh, and so we've always seen that with revivals, moves of God, Pentecostal ministries and churches. You know, John Wesley, uh, great English preacher, revivalist, uh, wrote journals all throughout his ministry in the 1700s. And he wrote on New Year's Day, 1739, um, about some of the experiences that occurred when they prayed and had the Holy Spirit move. Listen to this. This is um, 
1739, as we were continuing in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise thee, O God. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. Probably one of his brother's hymns. Um, And then 20 years later, he's still journaling. 1762, he records this. Many more, so he's preaching now. Many more were brought to the birth. That's being born again, the new birth, saved. All were in floods of tears, cried, prayed, roared aloud, all of them lying on the ground. So it's not just crazy Americans from the 20th century and beyond that are like, you know, rolling and falling or... This has happened throughout history. 20 years later, again, September the 8th, 1784, he writes this, When I began to pray... The flame broke out. Many cried aloud. Many sank to the ground. Many trembled exceedingly. Isn't that awesome? Now, of course, Wesley, and that's where the word Quakers, you know, the Quakers literally were quaking, Quakers and Shakers. And so that's been a result of the Holy Spirit moving. And, of course, Wesley was criticised for these manifestations because, like today and throughout history, sadly, some people... uh, didn't understand. Some people had been taught that the Holy Spirit moved with gifts and with manifestations only in the first hundred years or so when the church started. Nothing in the Bible about it, but just called the age of dispensation, kind of cool doctrine to explain away our misunderstanding or lack of experience of these things. And and so he spoke out against that. Uh, He wrote this and said, It appears that these extraordinary gifts of the Holy Ghost were only common in the church for the first two or three centuries. From this time, they almost totally ceased. The cause of this was not, as has been vulgarly supposed, because there was no more occasion for them. The real cause was the love of many Christians was waxed cold and their churches had only a dead form left. Yikes. That's sad and scary, isn't it? And then another time, he also said, the reason why tongues and other gifts had disappeared was that dry, formal, orthodox men had begun to ridicule such gifts because they themselves did not possess them. Wow. God, never let me ridicule something just because I don't experience it or understand it myself. So we don't want to be Christians or a church that only has the form without the power. Hello? Right? No touch, no leading, no power from the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't be shocked when God moves in a new way and things happen that we don't understand. We want to be continually inviting the Holy Spirit to have his way, to move, to empower us, to equip us, to use his gifts, to build the church, to bless people, to bring the glory to God. And uh, and so that gets us to the third thing to notice on that day, and that is the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. Am I the only one that's really hot? Okay, if it's not really hot, if it's, if it's hot, turn it down. If it's not, it's okay. I'm, so fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm busy. As long as you're not boiling down there. It's okay. Just checking. I just, what's that? Take my shirt off. Sure, hang on. <laughs> it's all right. I'm just, 
I'm just stirring frosty up. <coughs> the water went down the wrong way. He's giving me vodka. <laughs> I asked for water. No wonder I'm preaching so well. I've lived in Russia. Okay, joking. Don't drink vodka. Now, the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Come on, you're still alive? You there? Come on. Because, uh, uh, am I drunk? No, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, so, you know, they, they spoke in tongues on that very first day, which is the normal evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to go into all the doctrine of it, but Ruth will pray for you this morning. If you've never been filled or baptised in the Holy Spirit, she'll pray for you. And normally, people speak in tongues. And some people have got to think about that. And, of course, you can argue that, well, I have been filled in the Spirit and I don't, and that's fine, and that can happen too. But generally, it's, it's a wonderful, heavenly prayer language that God gives us so that we can pray and worship and, and connect with Him in a way that you just can't put into words in your native tongue, in English or some other language, earthly language. And so... They get this gift on that day. But then when you read through the book of Acts and through the New Testament, you see all these other gifts too. Uh, you read Ephesians chapter 4, you see the fivefold gifts or offices that God puts in the church, empowering people to be apostles, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What did I miss? Prophets, thank you. Uh, and, uh, and so God puts these uh, gifts in the church. And then you read in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, 14. Again, read them in your own time, study them, and you see nine gifts of the Spirit, including uh, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, gifts of miracles, healings, words of knowledge, being able to understand something that you wouldn't naturally know, but God gives you information about a situation or out about a person. And then someone prophesies that and it lifts their faith. Wow, how do they know? The number of times we've had prophecies for people uh, or we've had visiting guest ministers and then some people come up afterwards and say, Pastor, I'm a little embarrassed that you told him that stuff about my life. And then he started talking about it. And I'm saying, I didn't tell him anything. God told him that. Oh, you know, and, it, and it, it's like a, a great awareness of the power of God moving. And, of course, New Testament prophecy, we're told, is for encouragement, edification, so it's not just reading your mail and then criticising you. I see inside you a spirit of lust and you're a terrible person. You know, It's like, well, that may be true, but God will give you something good to say about him too. You know, and so there's just a 30-second lesson on prophesying in your connect groups, you know, um, because we do want to prophesy, and Paul says that. When you read those passages all through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, he says, desire spiritual gifts. He says, I, I speak in tongues and I prophesy. I would like you all to prophesy. And so Ruth mentioned this earlier. This is not something just to be standing off at and not understanding and not being involved. It's something to desire. Now, of course, and the Bible says, the Holy Spirit gives to each one a gift. So there's got to be something in there for you. Probably don't aim for all nine in that list and think, you know, the ants pants and of spiritual gifts but uh, there's certainly a desire there's a, a, a tension a combination there of desire and humility but of course if you just don't have any desire you can say it's humility but it can also be apathy to say oh I don't know who am I I wouldn't really want to tell God what to do and well that's just being slack so you're going to press in and so desire but also submit to God's will and discover what the Holy Spirit has put in your life because there are gifts that people have that they haven't yet discovered or developed. And so there's a calling for us and it's exciting because they're there to build up the church. 
And when the spiritual gifts are moving, it really does. It's so awesome when you see, even in practical areas, gifts of generosity and service and mercy and leadership and, and, and personality-based gifts that God's put in our hearts, as well as these more obviously Holy Spirit manifestations of his move, where maybe it's a little more spectacular or out of sync with someone's personality or all different ways. The Spirit moves and we want him to. And, uh, and so we want to give him that opportunity. I mean, Ruth mentioned her experience, mine briefly, when I, um, I'd been a Christian for about five years, also went to a great traditional local church and uh, hadn't been brought up in the church at all, but they taught good stuff there and they knew about the fruits of the Spirit. They knew about being a good person and following God with, you know, humility and conviction and all that. But then I heard about the happy clappies. You know, I heard about this new church down in DY in Sydney in the early 80s. And that's where they were talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, people were falling over when they got prayed for. And people said, oh, it's, he's found this weird nerve at the back of the neck. And, you know, people were concerned. And, 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 and they're speaking in tongues, but it's, it's from the devil. It's a counterfeit gift. Oh, the devil's very clever, maybe more clever than God, it sounds like. You know, he's giving people a gift. When they ask God for a gift, and then the devil comes in and says, no, you'll have another one from me. You know, and so I was not taken with this criticism. I just thought, you, I remember thinking, some of these critics, you sound like the guys on the day of Pentecost who were criticising what you didn't understand. So I thought, I'll go and find out for myself. And uh, so I went down there, and, uh, and the preacher, well, he was wearing a safari suit, I remember that much, which was very trendy back in the early 80s. It was Pastor Phil Pringle, and uh, he had a contemporary, modern, interesting approach and message and the music they had drums they had you know and uh it's all very regular now but it was a little different and uh and then at the end and I, I i was aware of the presence of god and i didn't understand it fully but i i knew this was god you know you know in your heart if something's right or wrong you have your own sense of discernment this is not a counterfeit devil weird thing. this is god and then they had an altar call and i'm out there and I'm not there to be born again. I'm born again, but I'm there for something. And I didn't even fully understand. The guy comes and says, oh, praise the Lord. Start praising God. And he lays hands on me. And I'm praising God. I think they might have said it's for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I probably didn't know what that meant, but I was there. You know, because we, as Ruth said, in our church, we didn't really understand much about the spiritual gifts. In fact, we ran camps where we'd two Bible studies and someone had put on the list, someone's going to be teaching on this subject, that subject, spiritual gifts. That was all very well six months before the camp. When we arrived to run this high school camp, no one was going to take up the subject. No one knew what, no one, so I, or I just scrubbed that from the list. So we never taught about spirit. Honestly, we had no idea. It was like, I'm not doing it. You know, I don't know. It's that weird First Corinthians. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about methods of prayer or I'm going to talk about how to study your Bible. Yeah, sure, I'll have that one. Anyway, so here I am. I go out the front and I remember the guy lays his hands on me and he says, worship the Lord. And I'm like, oh, God, you're awesome. Praise the Lord. And he says, well, just keep worshipping the Lord, but don't use English. I'm like, what is that? Whoa, yabba dabba do. And I'm away speaking in tongues. And I sensed the the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in such a powerful, genuine way. And I remember saying to God, I'm never doubting your presence. I'm aware of your presence, your person. I, this is good. This is, and I didn't fully understand it. 
And that's okay because we shouldn't have to try and understand everything or we shouldn't be able to understand everything. We're the clay. He's the potter. How often do you hear a pot talking and saying, hey, I don't like the way you made me. Why don't you try this? It's, it's like he knows more than us, you know. There is, and let's just say you, the Christian faith isn't rational and that you shouldn't try and understand stuff and you can study and learn things. But there is, there is going to be a gap and it's, the, it's mystery and that's okay. There's always going to be a mystery, yeah? And that's where the Holy Spirit moves. And Jesus said that to Nicodemus. He said, the Spirit's like wind. You can't tell where it's coming, where it's going. You know it's real. You feel the wind. It came like a rushing wind, the sound on that. But you can't nut it down and analyse it. I mean, weather reporters, you know, they do their best. I'm just glad I've never been a weather reporter. It'd be tough, wouldn't it? Hey, you know, thanks a lot. You really ruined our picnic. You said it was going to be fine. How was your day, honey? Oh, Said it was going to be fine, but everyone's, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Um, they get it wrong. Uh, we don't understand the weather. We can't understand fully the ways of the Spirit. Anyway, from that day on, I was empowered to serve God, to have more passion for God, to, to do more of what was already in me, but the Holy Spirit enabled that to happen. And, uh, and, and so I believe that's there for us all. Let me finish by just going right to the end of the book of Acts. Then we're going to pray. Uh, write the last couple of verses, Acts 28, verse 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, we've been reading about him all through the book of Acts now, stayed there in his own rented house, that's in Rome, welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Two things boldness there it is again Paul also having been baptized in the Holy Spirit moved in the gifts of the Spirit was bold but also if you turn the page that's the end of the book it doesn't say and then Paul was executed by Nero and then the gospel continued to preach and the gospel continued to spread there's no ending it's really a weird ending it just stops suddenly and I just sense that that's deliberate because, you know, it's known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and he's never stopped acting. There's, there's very much a suggestion that this is meant to continue. There's no closure here. It's not the end. No, it's just the beginning, as they say. And so, isn't that cool? We've got to give the Holy Spirit room to keep doing what he's always wanted to do. And so we're going to get the band up here, and we're going to sing a song of worship, and, uh, and I want to encourage you, if you want prayer in three main areas, I want Ruth to pray for you over here if you want to be filled or baptised in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm going to ask Byron, if he's around, pray for anyone who needs healing. Maybe push this front row back a bit. And uh, if you are sick in your body, the Bible promises by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is healing and deliverance from that pain and sickness. And anyone else wants prayer, come and just stand sort of in the middle and I'll pray for you, whether it's a touch of the Holy Spirit, whether it's an issue you need. The, as I said, the, the power of God doesn't have to be dramatic and spectacular. It can be an answer in your spirit for a problem that you've been facing. It can be a decision that you need to make that you've been wrestling with and the Holy Spirit can come and just put a full stop on that decision and underline it and say, yeah, that's what you need to do. Come on, let's stand up. Let's worship, spend a little while seeking Him. Praise Him.
We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.